This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Xero. As a listener of this podcast, you are probably keen on getting industry insights, staying ahead of leading edge technology, and boosting your network. Well, I have some good news for you. This June at ZeroCon 2019, Xero will bring together hundreds of tech-savvy, future-minded professionals just like yourself from across the Americas and the entire globe. Come join Blake, myself, and this collaborative community in action June 18th and 19th in San Diego. To receive a special discounted ticket to ZeroCon 2019 in San Diego, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash zero. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash X-E-R-O-C-O-N. Book your ZeroCon ticket today and we'll see you in San Diego. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And I don't know about you, David, but it has been a crazy week for me. We did three webinars Tuesday. Actually, no, it was two webinars and one in-person event. Tuesday, I was downtown LA, and then we did two webinars, and uh, I've got two more next week, so I'm ready for the weekend. Yeah, I feel like we just, two hours ago, recorded last Friday's podcast. It's just, <laughs> I don't know what happened to the week, so but we're back at it, and we're uh, recording another episode. Yeah, so, I'm excited to hear, I'm excited to do some follow-up on those stories from last week. What so is uh, follow-up, but we also got two reviews. We got two amazing reviews. Oh, got it. Okay, let's hear the reviews. All right, so one was from Canada. Um, don't miss this podcast, five stars. Any accounting firm wanting to keep up with the ins and outs of the cloud accounting industry must, must capital S subscribe to this awesome podcast. David and Blake do a great job of educating and entertaining. But I don't have a name on that one, unfortunately, but it is from Canada. And did you want to read the other one? This is double jazz hands, five <laughs> stars. Blake and David approach today's modern accounting news and trends like two kids in a candy store. As they gleefully bounce from one side of the podcast room to the other, you can tell how excited they are to share the next bit of news, however good or bad, to the rest of us waiting with bated breath. These modern-day green-visored Holmes and Watson investigative duo are awesome at what they do, helping to advance the conversation of cloud accounting with all its complex layers. Three cheers to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Will Lopez at AdvisorFi. Wow. Thanks, Will. That's uh, it's almost poetic. I'm, I'm not sure Blake read read it with the enthusiasm that it comes through when you read it. It's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Will. We appreciate that. Let's jump in. Yeah. Quick update from last week. So everybody knows about the Visor story last week. After the fact, uh, I did stumble upon a, um, a website called thecollegeinvestor.com. That website had a review of Visor tax software. But then in the comments are all the real reviews from all the users. Even as of April 25th, so this is yesterday, somebody left a review. It says, agreed, Visor is horrible. They prepared my taxes incorrectly and they took forever to respond to my request to fix the problem. I now need to return money back to the state. I wouldn't use this service again, even if they paid me. It's similar story. Uh, I actually think the reviews on here are uh, worse than what was on Twitter because people have more space to write. You know, I've, I've got a follow on to that story as well. I don't know if you spotted this, but Ryan Lozanis wrote a great article on his blog, futurefirm.co. I had it open in my tab. I, I have the same article. Perfect. So he does a really good job of summarizing the model and threat of accounting tech startups and the existential threat they pose to the traditional accounting firms. I'm going to skip through all of that because we've kind of talked about that, how the, you know, the app-based interface with your accountant is potentially could be disruptive to the industry. It's, it's obviously people want it. That's why they were signing up in droves for Visor. Now, as to whether or not they can deliver it, that's a different question. But let's assume that eventually somebody figures out how to do it, whether it's Intuit with QuickBooks Live or it's Visor with Tax or any of these other 
modern accounting tech startups, right? They're going to figure it out. So then Ryan says, well, how can we compete with that as traditional firms? We can't compete on price. We can't necessarily even compete on tech. What we can compete on is personalized service. And that means getting to know your clients so well that it feels almost like advisory service, even if that's not necessarily what you would think of yourself as doing. Get to know them well enough where you're, you're creating value. And I like that. That's a very simple, excellent way to differentiate yourself. And it's something that an app-based company just is not going to be able to do because they're going after a, a volume play. So somebody wants to be the McDonald's of this and you can't be the McDonald's. So you're going to have to be a nicer restaurant, your, your neighborhood diner that people are loyal to because you, you provide that personalized service. What I liked about his article is he really compares the or he makes the argument that these startups are doing the 100 percent opposite of what the traditional firms have done for the last 60 years. Who knows if it's going to work or not? Right. But they are doing the exact opposite. It's almost like that George Costanza. You know, when George Costanza's on, Costanza's on Seinfeld and he's- His philosophy. Yeah, he's just like, he's like, I'm going to be the anti-George and whatever my gut tells me, I'm going to do the opposite. And so that's what these guys are betting on. They're betting, right. which tells you what they think about the existing industry. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with the way it's done now. I saw a stat in the Journal of Accountancy that something like 60 to 70%, well, in some cases, 80%, except credit cards as a form of payment. The firms under- $1 million, it's somewhere between 60 and 70% of firms accept credit cards today. That to me is anti-consumer. It's anti-customer. People want to pay with credit cards and you don't let them. Am I crazy, David? I, I think that's, you know, the stereotype of uh, firms and accountants being cheap and they don't want that extra 2% being taken away from them by the uh, credit card fees. Yeah, um, but just it comes back to you in terms of customer satisfaction. And then they buy more from you. To imagine the accounting profession like catching up, like the, the the ones who are not taking credit cards right now, there's just no way they're going to catch up, right? They they like they haven't seen the light, <laughs> and they won't. But hopefully, those who do will. Uh, I have another story related to this. So along the lines of Ryan's argument, there was an article on the AICPA blog. Your tax practice could be on the edge of greatness. Push. It's a story about a CPA who partnered with other professionals to act as the single point of contact for all of his clients' financial needs. And it's a really great example of how accountants can create more value beyond compliance. It fits in with Ryan's argument that accountants and bookkeepers have to swim upstream if they want to survive because all that easy work is going to be automated, is going to be handled by apps and the VC money is going to pour in there because that's the volume play. But there, there's no way they're ever going to be almost like a business manager, which is is what this article talks about. The example is really good. It's the author's father-in-law passed away and mother-in-law moved in with his wife and daughter and himself. And then she was diagnosed with cancer. And then a few years after that, she passed away. And so then his wife was the executor, which is a huge job. But the CPA... Their, C, their family CPA took on that role of coordinating with the lawyer, the investment advisor, set everything in motion and held the author's wife's hand through the whole thing. And that to them was amazing. So so it's almost like a even further step because I know a lot of accountants and bookkeepers are kind of, to some extent, the technology advisors of a small business, right? Hey, use right. these apps, get Microsoft Office, blah, 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 blah. We're going to get you all set up. But 
like, how about I just advise you on all parts of your business? I've got a lawyer that I can recommend. I have a website builder that I can recommend. You, you're bringing a full suite, just not a tech suite anymore. Yeah, yeah. And personal financial planning is part of that, retirement mm-hmm. planning. This actually really reminds me a lot of business management in Los Angeles, which is kind of its own unique space in the accounting world that not a lot of people know about because it's it's limited to celebrities and athletes and whatnot. But the only time you hear about it is when these business managers steal money is, is when you hear about it. But most of them are really great and they don't do that. Uh, and I worked in a firm that had a very large business management division because we were right there in Santa Monica, right? Yep. What a business manager does is they're basically an accountant who handles your taxes and everything else financial in your entire life. They're, they're almost like a fixer, financial fixer. They'll help you buy a house. If you want a new car, you just call them up. They'll go figure it out. Like they'll do, it's, they'll do everything. It's full service. Full service. And, you know, they take like as much as 5% to do that, right? But there is a, a, a opportunity now with tech to bring that level of service, maybe not quite that level, but you know, some aspects of it to accounting and be a family office or a business manager light, you know, some, some, something like that. Well, I mean, that would be a great experience. Think of your client. If you, if you, if you made your clients feel like movie stars, yeah, that would be a huge. Yeah. I have an article that ties back to the same vein of this whole thing. Okay. Essentially, a half of all VC money goes to Google, Amazon for like hosting Google ads, right? And then Facebook. All these ads. And if you really think about all those uh, companies we talked about, the bot keepers and the pilots and um, scale factors and all those people taking that VC money, a lot of that's going into ads. Or even we talked mm-hmm. about Pfizer last week, ads, Instagram models. It's all marketing. So some news that happened last week is Henry Block. He's one of the founders of H&R Block. He died Tuesday at age 96. Um, Wall Street Journal has a uh, good long read article about his life. Um, he actually... Uh, started collecting impressionist art. The second paragraph of the article is like full circle to what we're essentially talking about now. Him and his younger brother had a struggling bookkeeping firm. They weren't making they weren't making strides. And this is in the mid 1950s. And they were in Kansas City, Missouri? Kansas City, Missouri. And they actually saw their tax prep part of their business as, as a headache. And they were going to eliminate it entirely. Hmm. But one, cl- one client of theirs who was an ad salesman suggested they should run some ads offering to p- do people's personal taxes for just five bucks. And it created such volume of turn of, of business that they, they changed and pivoted to only focus on tax returns. But it's the exact, I mean, it's the exact same game that's happening now with with these new tech companies. Hmm. They're advertising the hell out of something and they're basically trying to be the next H&R Block just different, right? Right. Uh, instead of having 12,000 franchises and hard stores, they're going to be all virtual and they'll have an app. 12,000 people downloading their apps. Exactly. But it's a, but, but I read this article, I'm like, it's the exact same thing happening. It's just from the 1950s. <laughs> History repeats itself. Yes, yes, yes. So wow. um, it's, it's worth uh, checking out. Uh, I mean, for anybody, all of us should just pause. I mean, even though H&R Block might be struggling in the grand scheme of things, but it's worth reading about the article and knowing it's a huge part of the history of where we're at in this space. What's going to be exciting is watching whoever becomes the next H in the next version of H&R Block, whatever that is. That's obviously where all this money is going to be the next H&R Block. There's, there's no doubt. That's what this is. So I think we've beat around the bush enough, David. It's time to talk about QuickBooks. It's time to talk about QuickBooks Live. QuickBooks Live, the story that just keeps giving. The drama that doesn't seem to end on Facebook in these groups 
Uh, so, so the gist of the story is if you go back to, and we've talked about this in the podcast, in the previous podcast, and Intuit even had that blog post out about, it was last month, they really went out and proactively communicated about QuickBooks Live. And the message has been, we're not going to market QuickBooks Live to any small business owners that have accountants or connected pro advisors. Right. And as a reminder, refresher, QuickBooks Live is the new assisted bookkeeping service that Intuit is testing, customers will be able to access inside of QuickBooks, very similar to TurboTax Live, where you can have an EA or a CPA help you with your taxes. That's the idea for QuickBooks Live. So this was naturally concerning to accounting professionals, and that's been what everybody's been talking about. But Intuit promised they wouldn't be marketing to businesses that were connected to an accountant, right? Correct. So what happened was somebody on um, on multiple, I think it was the same person on multiple Facebook groups put up a screenshot. And this screenshot essentially showed live bookkeeping, which is basically it was QuickBooks Live, an ad for QuickBooks Live inside of QuickBooks Online of their client's file. And obviously people's heads exploded, right? Um, the huge chain went on and on and on. Um, I was a little skeptical because for me, I didn't totally believe it because my take was that screenshot, the way it was taken, you couldn't tell for sure. Like you couldn't verify for sure that that QBO file was connected to an accountant. Right. Right. Um, So I actually asked to see the other screenshot and then I actually, uh, somebody else uh, sent us a private message. So I actually have seen the screenshot. So the reason I was skeptical before is because in QuickBooks Online, there's a tab called My Accountant. It uses an if statement. If you're not connected to an accountant, it shows you a screen with an email field that says, put in your accountant's email address so you can be connected with your accountant. Mm-hmm. And the rest of that if statement is, if you are connected with an accountant, it'll show who your accountant is at the top and then give you a place to uh, communicate with your accountant and share documents, et cetera. Right. right. So I was like, there's no way, like Intuit already, or QuickBooks and Intuit already has the logic to know who is connected or not connected to an accountant. It's built into QBO. So my initial gut reaction was there's no way possible Intuit launched this little ad for live bookkeeping for QuickBooks Live without doing that same check. Right. So I was very, very skeptical of this this thread. It had 85, 90 messages in it and the screenshot. And finally, somebody sent me the screenshot and my jaw kind of hit the floor. Absolutely. QuickBooks Live bookkeeping is appearing in a file connected to an accountant. So how does how, how is that happening? Why is that happening? I mean, uh, uh, Intuit said they wouldn't do that. So hey, I, some people think they did it on purpose. I, I saw some comments like that. I don't. I don't necessarily know it's on purpose. I think it's going too fast. You know, not sanity checking. Mm-hmm. Nobody stepping back and being like, "Hey, let's be very careful." Based because there's been a lot of talk about Quibus Live, and it's been very sensitive for the last three months. Right. Like, like, where's the check of like, let's pause before we put that ad in QuickBooks online. Let's make sure it's working properly. Like, I'm just very, very shocked that it appears like this. I'm shocked. And I actually feel bad for like, and Kim from um, Intuit's PR, Kim Asbaugh and the communications team, because every time like the story go, dies down for a week, something else happens that they have to go out and like do damage control because this is not good. Well, there was another post that I spotted uh, an accountant who received an email from a, a prospective client, so not a not a customer yet or not a client yet, saying, 
I have decided to go with bookkeeping services offered by QuickBooks Online directly through their website. Therefore, please cancel our scheduled appointment. I'm sorry about this. I appreciate your time. So in this instance, it was a prospect of a pro advisor who saw the QuickBooks on uh, QuickBooks Live advertising and decided to go with that instead. And you know that's that's not anything that Intuit has promised not to do. I, there's there's no way to hide, you know, to know the intent uh, or whether or not somebody is looking at a pro advisor as, as a as a potential service provider. My argument has always been that no matter what Intuit promises or tries to do to segment its marketing, it's not possible, and that prospects and existing customers of pro advisors are going to find out about QuickBooks Live and they are going to decide whether or not to use a pro advisor services and compare them to QuickBooks Live, which opens up all those questions about is the pricing going to set an expectation and and hurt the ability of pro advisors to charge higher fees? Is it going to still take business away from them? And I think, yes, ultimately, the whole point of QuickBooks Live is to grow their subscriptions with services. There's no way they're only going to be able to get people who aren't working with a pro advisor or never intended to. It's just not possible. Yeah. And and, and this is the, the the nightmare everybody first saw weeks ago. Like, I can see it now. I'm going to get an email from my client saying they're going to, they want the price of QuickBooks Live or they want to just switch to QuickBooks Live. Yeah. Right. And now, now somebody had an email like that. They post on Facebook, everybody loses their mind. You know, the the ad showing up in QuickBooks Online, people are going to be upset. So, so it all it all makes sense now. And two, it's also trying to figure out from the pricing. Like, they, I believe they're truly trying to figure out how do they do this and so they can employ, you know, employ is kind of a loose term, um, connect, play that middleman, Uber style, right? Yeah. They would they play the middleman between the current pro advisors and small business owners. So it just feels rough how this is being tested into. And maybe this is one of those, like, it has to be rough. Like the band-aids just got to get ripped off and everybody's going to get over it six months from now. I'm like, yeah, oh, that was no big deal. Like, I don't know, but, but it's shocking. I, I was shocked myself that this showed up like this after they kind of have been promising they wouldn't do it. And my feeling is that this is not going to be a band-aid that gets ripped off. This is not going to smooth over. This is permanently changing the relationship of pro advisors and into it forever. It, it's, yes. it's, I mean, you, 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 you blogged about that yeah. 12 weeks ago. And you can see it in the, in the, in the commentary. People are very upset about this who have been very loyal for a long time and are talking about switching to Sage, switching to zero, switching to accounting suite, looking for other options because they don't want to be partners with a company that's offering a competing service. I still subscribe to like, I don't even know if switching is the answer because I really truly believe that based on your article and the, the, the success of TurboTax Live and the demands of being a public company and the street and Wall Street's demands and shareholders demands that other com- the other players, Zero, Sage, et cetera, are going to have to do the same thing because they're going to have pressure from the street because there's no way if they're charging $39 for a subscription and all of a sudden two, it's getting $199 a month for a subscription. Yeah. Those other company, those other shareholders and are gonna, investors are going to be like, that's ah, okay. Just leave 150 bucks a month on the table. Don't go chase it. They're going to have to do the same thing. There's no doubt. Well, I'm not convinced that Intuit will actually be able to succeed with this service. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I previously wrote an article called uh, Why There Won't Be an Uber for Bookkeeping that I posted on LinkedIn. That was a few years ago. And I'm going to go back and read that again. 
it's really, really hard to scale a services business for small business owners. I mean, it's hard enough to make software for them, right? To actually... Visor was an example last week. Yeah, Visor completely and miserably failed to scale their service operation for tax season, which is like what they're... That's their one job, right? You had one job to do. So we'll see. Here's the risk of QuickBooks Live for Intuit. It's that... They're pissing off their pro advisor community, which has been so good to them for so long and helping them uh, obtain market share and gain mind share among business owners. And yet there's no guarantee they'll even be able to scale QuickBooks Live enough to make up for that. The damage that they do if they fail is potentially humongous. It's a huge gamble. Well, and it's also giving zero uh, an inroad into the United States that is thus far the beachhead for zero is very tiny, right? Still. And and this is giving them that opportunity to win hearts and minds of former. That's correct. There had, I don't think if I look back at the last, zero has probably been in the States now, what, seven to 10 years, maybe a full decade now. Yeah. I think maybe there hasn't, there hasn't been a crack in the dam. They, they, they can't penetrate anything. There's not a leak. And now there's kind of a leak. Yeah. Cause people have been so happy with, you know, where they are, why, why switch? And now this is the opportunity. So this is the crack. And I think if uh, if different software companies take advantage of it, they can get in and they can start chipping away at that wall and, and the dam will break. Uh, I, don't know. I actually That's think that would, be, that would be good for everyone if there was more diversity and if there were more firms using different products, because that would increase uh, development. Right. And it would would. Um, it's always good to have multiple players in the market. 80, 90 percent market share is not a good thing for the customer. You know, you also have to look at Intuit's also point of view on this, right? There's six other startups that all took VC money, right? That are coming after the same customers. Yeah. Right. And so some of the level, you can't blame Intuit at all because they got to do things like this to survive in the future. They got people clawing at them. Yeah. But so I I understand like there's this impetus, right? Because you need to make profit. You got to do something new, but sometimes doing something new isn't always the right thing. And that's true. I mean, you can see this with like the new QuickBooks Online Advanced Limits. Uh, I saw a post last week from Jordan Dahl on LinkedIn. She's a news editor on LinkedIn, and she did a, a long post summarizing the the QuickBooks Online uh, Advanced Limits, the new limits. And she's not an accountant. She's not in the accounting world. She's talking to business owners, right? A bunch of people outside of our our little closet, right? right? <laughs> and we t- and, are talking about this. Yep. And she got a hundred comments on this post. A hundred comments, which to me indicates that. There's a lot of people worked up about it. Yeah. And it's sad because it offset some good news from Intuit this week. Uh, Intuit oh, yeah. We, have, we have some good news about Intuit. I'm so actually glad that we do. Let's talk about that. So two things that were big. Uh, one is they enabled um, one-day ACH. So if I need to pay us, or I'm a small business owner and I need to be paid, I will get that money in my bank account the next day. That's exciting. Which is huge because they had some stats in here that um, 44% of small business owners are reporting they're not paid on time. Mm-hmm. And they're lar- it's in, in that barrier of not getting cash in their accounts causes them to have insufficient funds to pay somebody else. So this just it, it really ripples across. Um, the interesting thing though in this survey that Intuit put out is sixty six percent. I'm sorry, one sixty. So just sixty percent of small business owners surveyed said they're still paid by check, particularly when the payment value is high. So yeah. that's a lot of checks still being passed through mm-hmm. the small. Well, it's because ACH has been so slow, two days, right? Now, I was looking into this because I had the same article on uh, on my list this week. And I was curious to know whether or not this 
change was due to the new same-day ACH rules that NACHA, um, the, the organization that governs ACH, had has been moving forward on. And I was I actually found out after doing a bunch of research that it doesn't because the way that QuickBooks payments works with ACH is these are debit payments. So I'm I'm requesting to take money out of your account. And that has not been sped up by the new same day ACH rules because there still needs to be a two day window in which a account holder can contest a debit since they didn't initiate it. It turns out that it's not using the new technology or the new processing windows. Into it is financing this, so and I think that's why that they, was well. That's why, uh, and it was hard for me to find this, but that's why there's a a charge of one percent for this new service. It's it's one percent of the transaction with a max of ten dollars per transaction. Yeah, and I think I remember if we if we go back to QuickBooks Connect um, when they announced that same next day payments and next day payroll, same day payroll. And they, they announced like three different instant payment things. And I think that's correct. Like they were, they even mentioned that they're floating that difference. You can choose not to do next day. And then it's the standard, it's either right. free or it's 50 cents or whatever that very nominal fee is, or you can choose to do next day um, for, for a fee. But yeah, I think I remember them saying that Intuit is putting this, you know, right. uh, floating the money between um, for these transactions. Right. So yeah, they're, they're, they're clearly hoping to make, a lot of money if they're taking 1% of everything up to $1,000, right? And then 10% per trend, $10 per transaction after that. And to its TurboTax numbers that came out. Oh, let's hear that. How'd they do? So their TurboTax numbers are up again. You know, and, and I think you even mentioned that last week with um, the amount of people not just doing online, right? Or not using uh, brick and mortar stores, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So TurboTax obviously is a huge benefactor in that. Um, so they are 5% increase in TurboTax units across the board um, with a 7% increase in TurboTax online. Wow. And they saw a 3% decrease in TurboTax desktop. TurboTax just continues to uh, roll forward, roll forward, roll forward. Uh, they uh, they uh, adjusted their guidance and said that they'll be at the high end of their previous guidance range of 9 to 10% wow. for revenue growth. Um, the thing this article didn't have and they did not release yet, which would be, I think, the most interesting is how did TurboTax Live do? Right. That's, well, are they going to break that gonna out? Be the, well, they broke it out in the conference call previously, right? Did they, the actual performance? Or I think they just said that they had really good growth. I don't know if they actually gave the numbers. Then there's okay because yeah. that, that'll be interesting. So tune back May 23rd, and because I I think that those numbers we see for TurboTax Live is going to tell a lot of the story of QuickBooks Live. Well, hey, I've got a story here from Accounting Today. This is kind of a fun one. The top 10 cities for accountants. So I'm trying to think. Like this is like, hey, if you want to go and hang out with accountants, there's a bunch of them living there, or is this like <laughs> top 10 cities where if you're an accountant, you're going to have a good quality of life? This is. Um, it's not that there's a lot of accountants hanging out there. It's two factors. Uh, this is a study by Advisor Smith. They analyzed 399 small, mid-sized, and large cities across the country, across the United States, based on accounting salary and job availability statistics from the Bureau of Labor. So are, how many accounting jobs are there and what is the cost of living? Balancing those two things. You know, you want to be in a place that has lots of jobs and good salaries and, and local cost of living, right? So uh, even if the salaries are lower, you might have lower cost of living, which makes up for it. So I'll go through the list. Uh, 10, Jefferson City, Missouri. 9, Trenton, New Jersey. 8, Birmingham, Alabama. 7, Denver. 6, Dallas. 5, Midland, Texas. 4, Wilmington, Delaware. 
three, Houston, two, Parkersburg, West Virginia, and one, Springfield, Illinois. Well, no Boston on that list. For some reason, in my brain, I always thought Boston had a huge accounting firm, big four oh. presence or something. I just think it's just but. too expensive. I liked seeing Denver on that list because I love Denver. I could live in Denver. I don't know. I don't know about about Dallas or Houston. I like the humidity thing is a problem for me. So what what else do we got this week? Anything else, David? I have one thing, a tweet, but I don't know if you have any news articles before I talk about a tweet. Well, how good is your tweet? <laughs> I, I, I it's it's super super breaking news. Oh, well, let's hear it. There was somebody tweeted that there is coming soon the desktop accounting podcast. Believe it or not. Oh wow. So, I've always wanted to listen to a desktop accounting podcast. I'm excited about that. Is this for real? Yeah, I, as far as I know, it's for real. This is not me. I didn't set this up. You didn't set this up. We didn't set this up as a um, gimmick or anything like that. But some of the comments were a little bit funny. Somebody said that they were going to distribute it on CD. I like that. Which I thought was a little bit funny. Those of you who are open-minded and you listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, but maybe you still have some clients on desktop, there might be a podcast for you to listen to as well. Speaking of entertaining ways to spend your time, there's a great article from Greg Kite on the Thrival blog. It's called Three Ways to Charge $25,000 to Your Customers. And I always love Greg's articles because he makes it both entertaining and educational. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the three ways, right? He uses uh, some stories from his own experience. So as a little bit of background, Greg is a corporate controller. So he outsources work, you know, utilizes the the work of a of an accounting firm. And so he interacts with that firm and he, he uses that experience to understand better, uh, you know, as a customer. He talks about his experience as a customer of that firm and gives advice to accountants looking to sell to guys like him. But he's a but he's an accountant who's also a stand up comedian. Yes, he's also a stand up okay, comedian. No, <laughs> you can't leave that out of his bio. I, mean, like, I just figure everybody is, knows who is. Greg is at this point. <laughs> Uh, so here's the three ways. So way number one is, uh, I would gladly pay you $25,000 if you find me $25,001 of tax savings. This has always amazed me is, is if you're a tax firm and you have tax experts and you figure out how to save somebody a bundle of money, why are you charging them hourly for that? The ROI is easy to understand. If you save somebody $25,000, charge them some sort of percentage of that or charge them a fee that expresses the value of that savings, right? Don't just charge them you know, your hourly rate. So that's, that's a good one. In the article, the story was all about the, uh, the qualified business income deduction that was new this year. And uh, the fee was way under what they could have charged, he said, on an hourly basis. Number two, I'll gladly pay you $25,000 if you create a retirement plan that will earn me but tons of money. And this had to do with uh, a special type of retirement plan that Greg's employer could set up for him uh, so that he could invest in real estate properties that the employer is invested in. And, you know, that helps out Greg personally, right? So your customers will, you know, even if they are not the actual customer, if like the firm is the customer, the people working there will want to pay you more if you help them out, right? That's another example. And three is I'd gladly pay you $25,000 if you... Help me automate to the point where I can fire an employee. That one's pretty easy these days. And I think most of the listeners of the podcast would understand that that one. And a lot of us probably did that or do that where, you know, we say outsource your AP automation or outsource your AP work to me. I'll use automation to do it. 
and you can get rid of that AP clerk you don't like very much. It's funny the way he says it. Usually we try to like sugarcoat it by saying, oh, we'll, we'll help you repurpose that person into a better role where they can add more value to organization. But honestly, you're, what are you going to do? Most of the time, you're just going to let them go, right? So that's an easy way to justify value billing for technology initiatives with your customers. If you are going to put in an AP system that you know allows them to reduce their staff, price it in terms of how much of a staff reduction, how much they're going to save on salaries. Don't yeah, do it frame, hourly. Frame it that way. Yeah, yeah, frame it that way. I like this article because it's actually an article about pricing and selling that is entertaining. So thank you, Greg. And uh, go check it out. Um, I did listen to a good podcast that could be interesting for everybody. Um, it's from Planet Money. It's called I'm Not a Robot. And it's the history of uh, recaptcha. So everybody's done that. You know, you have to check mm-hmm. mark the box that says I'm not a robot or you have to type in I hate that thing. the thing from the book. So this kind of gives you the history of it. So you understand why it exists, uh, how it's evolved and where arguably V3 is going to be in the future. So wait, so what is the podcast about? It's about recaptcha, the history oh, of it. The, so history the podcast, of it. The podcast like, title. That oh. sounds awful. Why would I want to spend my time on that? It's... <laughs> Here's what you'll like about it. There's farms of people that can be hired by spammers to click the box that says I'm not a robot. Oh, God. There's human powered automation in clicking through that message. Right. So maybe that would be a reason for you to listen to it. Maybe that's the job I can get once my my job has been automated is uh, I can click. I can help the robot. My new employer, which will be a robot, I can help it get through the recapture because it won't be able to do so itself. You know, that's what we'll be doing. Apparently, yes. So so that's just, it, it's worth a listen. It's, it's kind of cool. I've got one last story here. Yeah. And this is going to be music to the ears of any Slack users out there. If you are using the Team Chat Wunder app Slack, you will be so excited to learn that Slack has built a new bridge between its service and email. In the coming months, you'll be able to at mention people and channels or send them a direct message and it will route those messages to their email inbox. These are people that aren't in your Slack as users, but you still want to be able to communicate with them. You can message them like any other user. That message will go to them via email. They can respond to that email without having to go into Slack. They're not even in, they're not even in Slack. And those replies will come into your Slack and the back and forth exchange will also transform into a full Slack history if the person ever does join Slack. So congratulations, Slack, you've became email. Thank well, you. <laughs> well, we can stop using it. It's done. It's over. You can, I'll just switch back to email. <laughs> What's the point? So the reason I think this is awesome is because there are lots of accounting firms that are starting to use Slack to communicate with clients. And I did this too. I had some of my clients, I was able to get communicating with me in Slack, but like half I couldn't. They just wanted to stick with email. So I ended up ultimately abandoning Slack because I didn't want to have two different places for them to contact me. So... Why this is great is because now, if I am running a firm, I can work with all of those users in Slack or not, all from Slack. And Slack is almost becoming like a good enough to use as a practice management communication tool. I think this is going to give all the you know apps like Carbon and Client Hub and what's the other ones, uh, the communication apps for for accountants like a run for their money. Because why wouldn't I? Nah. Why wouldn't I just do it in Slack? Now, isn't there uh, some risk to this? And what I mean by that is, in theory, Slack is secure, uh-huh. right? As soon as you send that Slack message and it goes out as an email, it's a postcard. So 
I think you just have to be very aware of what you type in that message because oh, yeah. the rest of the messages, if, if you're used to, if you're used to everything being secure in Slack and you've just been, I'm not saying careless, but because you, you're confident you're in a secure location, sharing secure information, if you type that into an external one, it becomes a postcard as an email. Right. So you just have to be very, very, it's the warning out there if anybody tries to do this. And one of the security measures is that these email only Slack users have to be added by an administrator manually. You can't just okay. add add somebody's email and start communicating with them because that would create a bunch of security problems for a company. So yeah, hopefully the administrators, whoever owns these Slack instances will understand that risk. So until people can Slack with us, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? I'm on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And how about you, David? I'm at David Leary. Follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast on Facebook. You can also subscribe to our emails. Just go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, click on the blue subscribe banner at the top, put in your email address, and you will get the show notes emailed to you the morning after an episode drops. And that way, you've got all the links to all the articles right there in your email inbox with all the time codes. You can skip right to that story in the podcast if you're really excited about it. Great way to follow up on anything that you found interesting in our show. And then you get them instantly. The second Blake is done editing the podcast, the email goes out even faster than I can make the artwork. So if you want, if you want, if you want the episodes faster than I get them from Blake, get on the email list. And give us a review on iTunes and we will read it on the air. We really appreciate those reviews. They're the number one way that you can help us grow our audience. Really appreciate that. And we're a top 50 business news podcast, David. Really congratulations. Exciting. Yeah, congratulations. Um, we are beating Marijuana Daily as of right now. Help us help us get higher than Marijuana <laughs> Daily podcast uh, and climb those charts and reach the accounting world that remains stuck in the ways of desktop. And do not let the desktop accounting podcast win. We have to grow our grow our numbers. All right. And on that note, Blake, I'm out. Great talking, David. See you next week. Bye, everybody.